Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Matthew chapter 13. We'll be reading verse 44. To say this is a short scripture lesson is an understatement. This is a tiny scripture lesson. Uh, And it's a a self-contained parable. We'll be reading one entire parable in this one verse. And as we do so, I, I wanted to take just a moment to think about what the parables are. As we read this parable, we read several uh, parables last week and we'll continue looking at parables for the next few weeks. Uh, Parables are a very strange form of teaching. They're these these little stories that that Jesus often tells or sometimes enacts. And at, at their core, parables help us understand something about life. And we typically associate them with Jesus, but I I had a fascinating conversation just a few weeks ago Uh, in my work with the church and with the seminary. I end up having really interesting conversations with really interesting people. And I was speaking uh, with one of the uh, former producers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood as we were preparing for this conference coming up. And she said, uh, one of the things people don't often realize about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is that there was a whole section of the show that was intended to function as a parable. It was the neighborhood of make-believe. At one point in the show, if you've ever seen it, there was a little trolley that would go through a tunnel and it would come out into a world of puppets. And in this world of puppets, these uh, pretend characters would encounter pretend problems in a pretend situation that would help the audience understand real life. And those little segments were intended to serve as parables. And parables do just that. They're little stories, they're often pretend stories, but they help us understand real life. And so as we turn to Matthew 13, 44, we're going to read one of these short stories that has something to say to us about, about how we live our lives. So now let's turn to the word of God, Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Buried treasure. It doesn't get a whole lot more exciting than that. A story about buried treasure. And Jesus is so many things. And we think so often about who Jesus is. And we ascribe so many titles to Jesus that it's easy to forget he was also a really good storyteller. And this is about 30 words. And in 30 words, Jesus tells us a story that has, has a, a main character. It has a hero. We have conflict. We have resolution. And we even have buried treasure to top it all off. And this is a tremendous little story about buried treasure. And in this story, we, we see something about what it means to, to have our priorities straight. We see something about what what it means to to trade up to the more important things in life. We learn about about sacrifice and about value. All in these few little words. And the parables are so complicated. They're they're, they're really, they can be hard to nail down. And as you read a parable, uh, you may find that the same story can be convicting and then comforting depending on when you read it, or depending on the point in your life where you encounter the story. Those same words can be, can be challenging or, or constructive. And this parable is a great example of that complexity. As we see these words, these words can be quite convicting or quite comforting. These words can be constructive as we think about how we live our lives. 
And I think a lot of that is, is bound up in the buried treasure. As we read the story, we, we find Jesus uh, uh, talking about someone who goes out and finds treasure in a field, sells everything he has, and buys it. And it's this, this, this motion, this, this sacrifice of giving up everything he has to gain something else. And when Jesus tells the story about sacrifice, he's telling it to the disciples. And that's very important. We know the audience for this story. We know the first people who heard these words. Previously, some of the parables had been spoken out in public, but Jesus and the disciples had gone inside into a home, and Jesus is speaking to some of his closest followers. He's speaking to people like Peter and Andrew and James and John. When Jesus tells this story about priorities and value and sacrifice, he is talking to the disciples who will often forget what they're doing and stop following Jesus to argue about who's the best. He's, he's talking about value and priority and importance to people who are worried about which of them is the most important instead of focusing on Jesus. And as the disciples, who are often so preoccupied with their own importance, heard these words, they must have been a little convicted. There must have been almost an accusatory feeling in this story. And that, that happens to us, too. I mean, as we read the story about sacrifice and priorities, we know that so often we don't prioritize the right things. It's so easy to forget what, what things are truly important in our lives. It's so easy to forget who we are following and to focus on ourselves. And there's this convicting sense in this story. But if you read the same story at another point— you might feel it, it's not convicting, but it's, it's comforting. And let, let's think back to those disciples who heard these words. People like Peter and Andrew who heard Jesus calling and left their nets to follow him. Left behind all their worldly possessions and their plans to follow Jesus. When Jesus talks to the disciples about priority and value and importance, when he talks to the disciples about sacrifice, he's talking to, to people who have sacrificed everything. He's talking to James and John who left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men to follow him. He's talking to Matthew who gave up his career to follow Jesus. When, when Jesus tells this story about sacrifice, he is talking to people who have sacrificed everything. And as they find themselves thinking back on those decisions and wondering if they've made the right choices, this story must have brought tremendous comfort as Jesus tells them that those sacrifices made for something greater are a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. Oh, what, what comforting words. And even for us, I, we know what it's like to sacrifice things. As so many of us at different points in our lives have sacrificed our, our dreams or ambitions. We've sacrificed a time or property or finance. We've, we've given sacrificially. So many of us have sacrificed in pursuit of of trading up to the more valuable things in pursuit of the kingdom of God. And hearing these words can be so comforting for us when we think of those moments of sacrifice in our own lives. And as we read this story, it's, it carries both of those. It carries the conviction and it carries, it carries the comfort. But to focus only on the conviction or the comfort is to miss, I think, something really critical in this passage. It's to miss this this hidden constructive element. And there's something in this parable that not only comforts us or convicts us for what we have already done, 
But there's something constructive that helps us as we consider what we are called to do and how we are called to live. And again, I, I think part of the, that constructive element is tied to that buried treasure. A buried treasure makes this such an exciting story. Right away, it, it, it has the sense of, of a, a, a tale of adventure or fantasy, almost a, a fairy tale. Buried treasure is the stuff of great stories, but it's also the stuff of great fictional stories. And as we, we hear about buried treasure, immediately uh, we are transported out of the realm of reality into the realm of fantasy. But I'm not sure that's, that's accurate. You see, as we read this passage, I think the buried treasure is far more rooted in reality than we realize. See, there's something really important about the history of Israel we often forget. Uh, This little kingdom beside the sea had been invaded so many times that it had become commonplace. Over the course of the history of Israel, the people of Israel had been invaded by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. Over and over and over again, this little kingdom by the sea had been invaded by these massive empires to the east or to the west. And every time the invaders came to the little kingdom, their soldiers would go throughout the cities and the streets and the homes and they would take anything of value. And they would steal the most valuable things from the people in this little kingdom. And eventually, the people started to learn what happened when invaders came. And they realized that they would lose everything if they didn't act quickly. So eventually, when news came that there was an invading army on the road, the people of the little kingdom by the sea, the kingdom known as Israel, the people of this little kingdom started to find ways to protect their most valuable possessions. And what historians have come to realize is that people would take those valuable treasures and they would take them out of their homes because the one place the soldiers were sure to search was the homes. So people would take the valuable treasures out of their homes and find somewhere to stash them that the invaders would never look. But this is harder than it sounds because if you put a treasure anywhere that's marked, that marking will draw attention. The best place to hide the treasures was to hide them somewhere completely unremarkable. To hide them somewhere completely ordinary or mundane. They would take their treasures and hide them in fields. And as they hid their treasures in the fields, the more valuable the treasure was, the more wealth they would have remaining after the invasion was over. And when the invaders left, those uh, landowners would go out to the fields and dig up their treasures and once again go back to their lives. But every once in a while, the invaders would capture people or take them prisoner or, or take lives. And someone who had hidden treasure in a field was unable to go reclaim it. And then that treasure, hidden in an unmarked spot, would lie there for days or weeks or months, or years, or generations. Real life buried treasure. And this didn't happen often, but it happened often enough that uh, people would find these treasures and they they had to come up with a a way to understand who owned them legally. So there, there are legal procedures for what happens when someone finds buried treasure in this little kingdom. If you find buried treasure, it was supposed to belong to the owner of the property where it was found. And so if you were not the owner of the property and you found buried treasure, it did not belong to you. However, the person who found the treasure was never required 
to disclose the location of the treasure. Finding the treasure didn't obligate you to to share where it was. And that's where our story opens. Our story opens with a hero who is in an ordinary field looking at an unremarkable location. The kind of place that hundreds or thousands of people have passed by hundreds or thousands of times. The kind of spot that is not remarkable in any way. It's, it's mundane, it's ordinary, it's average, it's dull, it's boring. And yet, the hero of our story looks at this unremarkable situation and sees something unimaginable. Our hero looks at something dull and sees something dashing, looks at something boring and sees something beautiful, looks at something regular and sees something regal, looks at a field and sees the treasure within. Only then is our hero able to go back to his home and to decide it's, it's worth everything he has. Only then is our hero able to get his priorities straight, to sell what he has and trade up to pursue that treasure that is of such great value. Only once he looks at what is mundane and sees what is magnificent can our hero trade up. And this, I think, is one of the really constructive parts of this parable. As much as we we want to keep our priorities straight, as much as we, we try to understand what is truly valuable in our lives, it can be so hard to do so if we never see it in the first place. As so often... Our lives are surrounded by unimaginable blessings. So often, we are surrounded by beauty and magnificence and glory. And the more often it happens, the less we notice it. I think these past few months, as hard as they've been, have done a a pretty noteworthy job at opening our eyes to some of the things we used to take for granted. As so often, our daily lives are filled with miraculous blessings from God. And to truly value them, we have to see them. We have to be willing to look at those normal, ordinary things. The the blessing of shelter, or food, or loved ones. The incredible blessing that seems so far away of having coffee with an acquaintance, or being in a, a stadium full of strangers, or being in worship with friends. These little blessings that surrounded us so often, these little things that we've taken for granted that now have such tremendous value, these treasures hidden in fields. And as we read this parable, this parable challenges us. It it dares us to look at our lives and see the treasures that surround us. To look at the things that we so often find boring and find the beauty. To look at the the regular and see what's regal. To look at the, at the, the obvious and see what is glorious. To look at the things God is surrounding us with each and every day and see the treasures hidden in those fields. Only then can we truly pursue what is of value. Only then can we glimpse the kingdom of heaven that is around us even now. As we read this parable, as we we read the story of buried treasure, these words, they they comfort us, they convict us, and they, they dare us to construct our lives in a way that we can see the treasure around us. Jesus is such a masterful storyteller. And in these roughly 30 words, 
He offers us comfort. He offers us conviction. And he offers us a way to construct our lives that sees the beauty of the kingdom of heaven and the things that surround us every day. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.